Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to Chapter 79 of the Corona Diaries. Good morning. Good morning, Good listeners. morning. Good morning, listeners. Uh, Hello, Spain. <laughs> Hello, UK. <laughs> Viva la España. We could be our own version of the Eurovision, couldn't we? Yes. <laughs> Can might... I have the votes from the UK judges? <laughs> oui. <laughs> UK and nil point. Yeah. What a shit song. Did you hear that the they've got the management agency from who has Dua Lipa and somebody else? Yeah. They've got them involved for next year, haven't they? To try and see if they can unlock... Well, let's, let's face it, try and see if we can get a single point. Well, bearing in mind who won this year, they'd have been better hauling in Rod Smallwood and the, the management of Iron Maiden, wouldn't they? Than, than <laughs> yeah. bringing bloody Dua Lipa's management in. That's that... They don't get it, do they? No. <laughs> I mean, have a look at who won this year and do the maths. We we missed a trick by not by not going full on darkness, didn't we? The darkness should have been an entry. Yeah, what they would have won, looking at yeah. what people seem to vote for. Mm. Strange, isn't it? I I mm. liked the uh, I liked the Icelandic lot that, that were just sort of doing that funny little dance and taking the piss. They were my <laughs> favourite. But uh, I think irony was lost on a lot of the Europeans as well. You know what we need? We need we need the boys. We need you lot on stage, but we need no, we the don't. arc welder and the and the blacksmith <laughs> and the and the bellows fella. And I think we'd walk it. What was that incarnation of Ziggy um, Cobbler Bob? That's what we need. We need uh, Cobbler Bob with the band in inside his built-up shoes. Um. <laughs> that would really work. Imagine going in, panning into the shoes on a screen, and then the next thing you get the set the, looking like the inside of the, the shoe. The band is in the shoes. Yeah, yeah. Couple of yeah, that would really work. As long as you get it the right way around. Don't do it the other way around. A bit spinal tap esque, where you've got the band stood there and then a single small shoe drops down. <laughs> that wouldn't. That wouldn't happen at all, would it? But I think no, you're. I think you're onto something. Cheaper. Maybe that's maybe that's the final. Maybe that should be Marillion's, you know, f- final go at international stardom. Should be Eurovision. Yeah, well, keep taking the tablets. <laughs> it's about as likely to happen as me doing Strictly. Right, <laughs> they'd have to take my family hostage. <laughs> Nothing, and, he, and even then, you'd be in two minds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. So I got here then. I'm in Spain, obviously. Mm, and and yeah. this is this is gonna be a good dry run, isn't it? For when TCD, TCD goes on tour when you're on the road to see if we can make this work. Well, yeah, except that you're on the road and I'm still at home. 
Yeah, but it's a similar sort of concept, isn't it? I guess so, yeah. Well, it's working perfectly. It seems to be working so far, apart from this room's very, very lively because it's a big high ceiling and it's, you know, what's it, tile floors and and all the things, so it's a a bit slappy, as you would say. Yes, you're in a scary cave with bats. I'm in a scary cave with... I am actually in a scary cave with bats and, 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 and nobody can prove otherwise. Um, I, was looking, I was looking down some of the feedback from, um, from last week. Um, the hamster story seemed to go down fairly well. Well, and so it should. Yes, uh, which, <laughs> which was good. But we've also got, um, we've also got a, a, an Yvonne, Yvonne update. Yvonne from which I think, Yes. Yes, which I think we need to deal with. I think we need to deal with now. I think oh she's almost getting her own section of the podcast now, oh, pretty really? much Has week in, week out. Of hand now, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well done, Ivan. Um Your pronunciation was superb, apparently. Well, I have spent a little time in Holland. Mm. So it was, it, it isn't a v, it's a f. Yes, Ifon, fon, fin. Indeed, indeed. So you got it spot on. And fon is a preposition that means from. Mm. Mm. So just Yvonne, Yvonne from Fien. And I think von de is like, that's from, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think that's from the father. So if you're called von der Linden, I think it means you're from the Linden family, but I could be wrong about that. All right, okay. So there's quite a lot of von der's as well, isn't there? Dice. Oh, sorry, I thought you said fondue. I thought that's that cheese thing. You didn't say fondue. No, no, I didn't. That's Switzerland. Oh, yeah, you're right. Different country altogether. (laughs) Yeah, that wouldn't work. Come back back now, Anthony, come back. I'm just, yeah, but what if you were from somewhere that was called do? So you were fondue. How would that work? Yeah, I don't know. I don't Mm. know. Okay. Um, She also liked the T-shirt, channeling my inner Yvonne. And she's going to get one ready in for when uh, you next perform in Utrecht. That'll go down well with the missus. Uh, well, I, d- I think she was going to wear it. I wasn't. It was necessarily for you. Oh, that's all right then. Um, uh, she did say I could have one if she would. She would. She would get me one. She's very, very kind. But she did yeah, make that be. point. You perhaps would need to clear it at home. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm quite. Pre- I think I might be prepared to take the gamble, but we'll. 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 I'll. I'll, I'll sleep on it. Yes. I'll sleep on it. Sleep on what? Um, sleep on I'll, channeling my inner, inner oh, if on. Oh, yes. yes, I see. Yeah. Yes. Um, Andy Miles, our Andy Miles that keeps us on track with um, with all the, the recordings and the, the remixes and the B-sides and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the View in Bista is his local cinema as well. I know this and I'll tell you why. Because I delivered his birthday card by hand. I know exactly that, where Andy Miles lives. Right. I know right. where you live. Right. So it'd be nice. A nice house, or you know, lovely house. Oh, very nice. Um, and he's he concurs that the, the free parking of two hours is woefully inadequate. It is. It is, mm. especially where Jimmy Bond's concerned. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you've got four and a half thousand baddies to kill, you can't squash that into two hours, can you? Well, they couldn't, could they? It was no. it was well long. Well, not enough time for popcorn as well. And the adverts for the curry house. That's do what, they still do that? Well, no, but in my head, they're still there. It doesn't matter what they're to... advertising. I can still see that curry house in Doncaster. 
and that awful music. Didn't you just love the fact that there was a standard advert that that had shots into interspliced of, of various dishes and wh- whether it would be a curry or whether it would be a Cantonese or whatever it would be? There'd be a standard advert, mm. and then and then at the end you'd get a single screen with the address of the one that was in your town, mm. and then the overdub voice changed to a different voice at that point in time. Yeah. Because that was the way the local bit dropped in. That's great, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. No, no effort made to make it seamless. No, that just w- just pl- <laughs> just just plonked on the end. Don't spend a lot of money. Just advertise the product. Yeah. Proper, solid sound Asian thinking. Yeah. And um, can you remember what that Indian was called? <sighs> well, I ought to be able to. I was probably punched outside it often enough. <laughs> But it was probably the last thing I saw as I, as I faded out of consciousness. <laughs> no, I can't. I was punched outside it often enough. Oh, this is brilliant. We're 10 minutes in and we've got an episode title. Repeatedly punched outside the tandoori. Yeah. I'm loving that. Uh, the final bit of feedback I that, that caught my eye... Um, was uh, Ian King, mm-hmm. and Ian King um, because he's a bit smart, uh, but we shouldn't. We're not going to knock him for it. Well, but he them. pointed out that thirty minutes at nine pence a minute is only two pounds seventy, not the three pounds sixty you said it was. Right. So therefore, you've got ninety pence to spend with Gay Abandon. Yes. Well, Gay and I went out, and we did blow <laughs> that ninety pence. <laughs> Fortunately, she's a cheap date. <laughs> I can't believe you know somebody called Gay Abandon. <laughs> oh, Mr. And Mrs. Abandon and their daughter Gay. <laughs> That's one of my favourite jokes, isn't it? When somebody used to say Annette Curtain, I said, oh, you used to go to school with somebody called Annette Curtain. And terrible, absolutely terrible. Doing something in the study with Annette. That was in um, the Italian job, actually, Benny Hill. Anyway, carry on. Anyhow, <coughs> carry on. Right. Um, so what I thought we'd talk about today, um, because I was thinking about it, uh, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, but I don't think we've delved, and, and that's the um, Colours Not Found in Nature project. Wow. Right. Gosh. Um, because that was sort of, was that sort of fear time in the middle of the fiery 2016? I think it was, yeah. I, I, I wrote that album, the words for that album, entirely on the road. Um, a good mate in now. Thomas Olsen, um, who he's not a member of Isilda Spain, but he sort of helps them out and represents them and coordinates things for them. And he kept emailing me saying, would you be interested in collaborating with Isilda Spain on the next record? And I kept emailing back saying, I would really like to, but I haven't got two minutes to rub together. I'm, I'm currently writing the next Marillion album and I'm, and I'm on tour, tour in America. I think it was on tour in Europe as well. And uh, so he kept emailing back going, well, maybe I could just send you one. And uh, I would email back and say, well, you can, but I'm not, I can't at all guarantee I'll, I'll have time to do anything. 
So he sent me an instrumental, and I can't remember which one it was, but um, I think it was uh, what became Ice Pop. It was that one. Um, I turned the corner off this thing. Um, and um, and so I started sniffing about in my whatever lyrics I had on the shelf and threw, threw a couple of really rough things down in, in, in a hotel room. And after that, I got to work on the song. <laughs> I showed them the door, they left, <laughs> and I got down to work. Um, and... Um, I sent I, I sent I sent those to uh, to the boys and they really liked it and they said that's great can we send you another one and I went no I haven't got any time and they sent me another one and it carried on like that and I ended up um, <laughs> you know with a little little vocal rig in in the hotel rooms and I remember working on on the days off in San Francisco when we went out there. Um, I think we had two or three days off in San Francisco because I had my jacket lined. Um, and um, while, while we were just sort of um, soaking, soaking up the jet lag at the beginning of the, the US tour, I'd be in the hotel room throwing a few more things down um, and then asking them to leave and doing a bit more work on the, on the Assault Dispatch. <laughs> Um, so I love the fact that when you've got a joke that's reasonable, <laughs> but you like it, you throw it in a second time just to get the maximum value out of it. Because <laughs> it was an okay joke, but you really quite like it, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm make use of it a second time. <laughs> Oh, you've not seen the back of that joke, Hunt. Oh no, it's uh, coming back. That's coming. <laughs> so it was it was a strange one because by the end by the end of the process, we'd written an album together that I had no intention of writing. Um but the music was interesting and there's a couple of really good moments on that album. Mm. Um I really I was really happy with um peripheral vision because there were some words I'd written about my daughter many years ago and never really found a home for them and they'd never really worked with any of them really in jams and then Matt sent me that beautiful piece of music with the string quartet and everything um and I tried those words and they they found a really good home and spookily, um, we oh, when I went over there and performed that album with them in in Sweden, and they had a they had a singer who I think was the wife of a, of of their ex bass player or the wife of their I can't remember what had happened. But she'd lost a child mm. um, and she sang backing vocals on that and she said she found it immensely moving because it took her to the ghost of her own child. Um, 
And so ever since then, that's, that, that song has had even more gravity for me. I mean, it had, I had a fair amount already because it was about my daughter when she was young. Because she, m- my daughter does have a locket with a picture of me in it from when I was about 19. Um, and so that's where those words came from. And they are about seeing the ghosts of your own children in, in your peripheral vision when you're, when you're just sitting alone somewhere and almost thinking they're there, you know, and then realising they're not. Um, so that was a pretty pretty good one. And I liked that other one as well. I quite like Incandescent. Um, because that song was sort of channeled straight from the instrumental. And I was trying to write that without my front brain i was trying to write a song about where that music was taking me and how i felt all that rant about um what was it by just above the sea um it was a sort of a metaphysical um stream of of Stream of subconsciousness, I suppose you'd call it, um, that I threw down in in real time. And it's a song about... A lot of people say, what's that incandescent about? And it's about um, spies and bees. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And if you know it's about spies and bees and you go back to it, then the whole thing about the dance uh, will will make sense because it's a bee dance, and the whole thing about spies will make sense. Um, well, it's an album I've not listened to very much, and and the and the other well, the reasons I thought about it. One is I don't know somehow being in Europe, it made me think, oh, let's talk about something that's a bit more of a a European project, but also uh, I had the th- I thought to myself, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna lie down in the you know. I'm gonna lie down outside by the pool um, in the sunshine and just and just put that on and just let it drift over me. Mm. Um, and, and because it's not an album I know very well, I thought this would be a great time because there's there's nothing. I mean, so many times you listen to music and it's in the car or it's you you, you might you might be going out for a walk or something and you're in the process of doing something else. Whereas I can just I'm just gonna let it wash over me while I'm here and and I thought great that'd be uh, you know so why not find out a bit more about it before I do that. So how do you, you say that Rich? put you in touch with the band? Richard B uh, used to... I think he'd been over to uh, Halmstad in Sweden once before um, to guest with them. Uh, and they're, um, they're like a chamber orchestra and a rock band melded together. There's l- lots of people. Um, there's a string quartet, there's a percussionist, there's two drummers, there's two bass players. Um, and they're very plugged into the the kind of higher up the cone part of prog rock. In other words, <laughs> they're kind of mates with Tony Levin and um, David, what's-his-face, who played with Bowie? David Torn, 
um, the New York guitarist, and Julie Slick, who played with Adrian Ballou. Adrian played with Talking Heads and played with Bowie as well, and of course King Crimson. So Julie was there in Sweden one year as well. She's amazing. She was on the ship with Adrian last time we played Cruise to the Edge and uh, they were the best thing on the boat, to be honest, the whole time. Uh, I happened to catch their set. It was just fantastic. Um, and I went and had a chat with them afterwards. And the drummer was a big Marillion fan, which, which was very flattering, considering what amazing drummer he was. Um, and I said hi to Adrian, who's really nice, and he's just amazing. Um, but I digress. So Isilda Spain were sort of plugged in to the kind of superstar prog people. Mm-hmm. And they'd they'd had, um, oh, here we go. Here's another one of them going, pulling slowly out of the fog. Now, who uh, who plays guitar with Peter Gabriel? Um, oh, that's an, that Rhodes. Dave Rhodes. Rhodes. They're all Daves, aren't they? Yeah, they're all Daves. They're all Daves, uh, apart from Adrian Ballou. Apart Adrian. from the Adrians. Uh, David, David Rhodes, they, they'd, um, they'd collaborated with him as well. They'd collaborated with Richard Barbieri. And Richard was invited over to do the, the Isilda Spain, um, the IB Expo, they call it, um, which they do every year. And so... He said, if you were to come with me, we could perform some songs from um, from Not the Weapon But the Hand and uh, we could maybe do Red Kite and uh, Naked. So I said, yeah, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? That'd be brilliant. Well, count me in. So I went to Sweden with Richard and we performed, uh, we performed Naked. <laughs> <laughs> we threw a couple of rough things down and... Um, <laughs> Oh, the third time was the best. <laughs> and um, uh, we, 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 we played Red Kite as well. Um, and that was wonderful to have completely real instruments on all of it, you know, the, the quartet and the, the guy playing real, um, real, real vibes and marimbas and all of that and just have enough people to provide all of those colours in real time. And that was fun. And so that's how I came to know Isilda Spain. And then I think I went back again and did another one with them. Maybe maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm confusing that with the one I did after we'd written the album. Um, so then that album came together in, in bits and bobs. And I'm just trying to pull all this out of the fog of my memory. Well, well I was going to ask uh, which tour. Which? So I'm assuming it, it was, was it the Fear tour? I think we were playing, I think it, we were at the, we were at the stage where we were playing the New Kings, but nothing right. else. So it might have been prior to the release of Fear when we'd already kind of written, right. recorded fear but but a bit like this where we're at now with an hour before it's dark yeah where we're just going to play one song because the album's not out um i think we were at that point with fear and we were we we were committed to an american tour the album had taken rather longer than we thought it would 
and so we just we just played the new kings at that point that would make sense with you saying you were still in the process of writing a marillion album because obviously you would i guess have been finalizing lyrics for fear then at that point yeah yep yep right. yep i think so i think we I th oh there we go now hang on a bit hang on hang on hang on hang on it wasn't sounds that can't be made was it it would be would have been right but it would have been but to your point it would have been years after sounds that can't be made so it yeah. would have been live dates with that being the most recent album but it wasn't that album tour i would guess in the same way that you know you were still before the pandemic you were still doing fear shows weren't you but fear had been out a while yeah all i can remember is being in a hotel room looking down on the swimming pool area because i was there and you know running back and two between the gazing out the window raging jet lag you know five and five in the morning five in the morning can't yeah. sleep that kind of thing watching the sun come up and then going over to this little rig and and working on these tunes that Thomas Olsen kept sending me, even though I kept asking him not to. <laughs> and, and did you end up using the the hotel room recordings then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I never, I never did one lead vocal in in a studio for that album. They were all just done in hotel rooms. Um, mm. Nothing was done in Sweden. They were all just things I things I threw down. Threw down. And you see, you're trying to be ironic with the fourth time of using it, aren't you? So that's clever. That's clever. Irony is the higher form of wit. Oh, Lord. <laughs> no, that's, that's, and it does, it, there's that whole thing that you can do that now. I, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, this room aside, which obviously you couldn't record in, but a normal hotel room that's got furniture and what have you, you can, you can easily. Well, you could turn. record in that room. It depends what you're after. I mean, Phil Spector. Well, John Bonham would. Phil Spector would love that room. Yeah, <laughs> Bonham, John Bonham, Bonham would, love would this happily room. record some drums in there. Yeah. yeah. So you can. It depends what you're after. You know. I mean, everything has its own character. People used to use vocal booths not just to get away from the, everybody else, but because they provided a, an ambience of their own that mm. made the vocal sound bigger. Um. A vocal booth did have a, a certain ambience. I always mm. find that if I sing in the car, it sounds better than if I sing in the street, because mm. you're in that really enclosed space, and it it does amplify the sound. If you've ever been in an anechoic chamber, which I was once at Bristol University, you realise how much of of what we perceive as sound is ambience, and how little is the source material i i concur sure had uh have an anechoic chamber in their headquarters in in chicago and i've been and it's the strangest feeling mm. when you're in there it's actually quite dis quite disorientating actually when you yes. first go in yeah it's totally unnatural and and you, you can talk and you can barely hear yourself talking mm. because you, know, you don't you you don't realize that that normally what you're hearing is 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 what you bounce off mm. The impact defines the shape. For those that don't know, an anechoic chamber is basically a room that's with which none of the surfaces reflect the sound. So every, all, all, all walls and ceilings and floors are absorbent. So you don't get, to Edge's to point, you don't get any reverb, you don't get any bounce, you don't get anything. So you get no ambience at all. No. 
and and they're they're pitch pitch quiet. If something can be pitch quiet, they're pitch quiet. Um, so you, you, they say that if if you're left in them long enough, you, 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 the sound of your own blood moving around your body starts to drive you crazy. Hmm. But they didn't leave me in there long enough. Oh, I was going to say, define long enough. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) So did you, uh, and excuse me because I should know this, but did you get to play that material live then with the Silver Spain? My mum knew a bloke who who couldn't sleep because he could hear the grass growing. Anyway, uh, did I... (laughs) Did I... um, did I play that album live? I did, yeah. When when returned to Helmstead um, the following year, and we played the album live in their little in their little um, theatre in Helmstead, and then we did it at Lorelei as well. We we were invited to play at Lorelei, and we we played the whole album there, and that was great fun. Hmm. I should have known that. I didn't, but I didn't know that. And I left my favourite jacket in a hotel room. See, these are the things I remember. Which brings me back to the thing that you knew I'd pick up on, but you thought I'd forgotten. Oh, hang on. All that. (laughs) (laughs) You just never know. Stop it, Steve. There we go. I'm I'm sorry about that, Anthony. No, it's it's, it's not a problem, Steve. No extra charge. Which brings me back to the thing you thought I'd I'd forgotten about. You knew I'd pick on what you thought I'd probably forgotten about, which is you were having a jacket relined in San Francisco. Ah, yes. Well, I've got this black leather jacket that I bought in uh, Cologne many years ago uh, that I still wear, and it's starting... It's on the cusp now of becoming embarrassing. But... Um, you know, old leather can sometimes look better than new leather. But the there's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and when I showed her the Dora, <laughs> went out and got me jacket lined. Yeah, um, yeah she pre- she preferred the battered armchair. <laughs> so, yes, so, so my favourite old black leather jacket. The the lining had completely come to bits because it was getting old and I thought oh it'd be great if I could get this relined somewhere and we were in San Francisco and we were only just up the road from Chinatown Chinatown was down the road and I'd been out for a wander looking for bars and things <laughs> and rough things to Jack Nicholson rough things to throw down uh, and um, we're gonna have to call the episode that aren't we? <laughs> throwing down a few rough things Yes. Um, or a couple of rough things. And I, and I noticed there was one of these, you know, alterations while you wait and repairs I saw in this, this little uh, little Chinese tailors. I thought, oh, oh, I'll come back. So I went back and I asked this a very, very nice Chinese lady if um, she could put a new lining in my jacket and she said that yes she could but I would have to choose the material and I said okay well where would I get the material so then she drew me a map 
of where to go and get the material. Um, so off I went uh, across San Francisco with my map down this incredibly long and hilly street. Um, one of those ones that Steve McQueen drove up and down. And uh, I eventually found this big sort of amazing shop, which was like something from the olden days. You know, it was all sort of cherry wood facade and everything. You went in and a man greeted you on the stairs and asked if he could help. And then he took me up the stairs and I had all of these rolls of, of every kind of material you could imagine. And I said I was after something to line my jacket. I think I was still wearing it. And so, so they, they, they got out one of these rolls of stuff and I chose the one and um, they measured it up and sort of they advised me how much I need because obviously I didn't have a clue. Um, and they, uh, they packaged that up and uh, I bought the material and then I walked all the way. It took ages. It was, it was a sort of 40-minute walk all the way back to the Chinese tailors and uh, gave her the material and gave her the jacket and she said she'd have it ready for me the following day. And I said, well, I've only got tomorrow because uh, we had a show and then we were leaving overnight. So she said, oh, no, I'll definitely have it for you. And I went back the following day, and it was, and it's it's great. So uh, I had my jacket line in San Francisco. Uh, and and then I probably went back and did some more work on that Asilda Spain album. Hmm. I think you need to, I think we need a photo. We need a photo on your Insta of your jacket lining. Yes, I'll do that, because I've, uh. I've kind of let the Insta go a bit, because I can never yeah. think of anything to photograph. But that that is a that is a relevant thing. It's a relevant thing. It's a relevant thing, and I'll uh, do it. And I think just in keeping with the episode, you need to you need to throw it down for <laughs> you. <laughs> I will. I'll throw a photograph down. Throw a photograph. Down. A rough one. Right. Let's go for a bit of diary. Um, <laughs> and I've got no idea what's in it because I haven't brought me I haven't brought me copy with me. Ah, oh, well, it's a good one. It's a good one this week. Um, I'm still in Brazil. I'm still in uh, Porto Alegre, where where I'd had my shoes fixed. <laughs> I love that bit in the heel bar in the heel bar um, and you know I was saying at uh, TCD 78 didn't I go down to the river and you were going I don't know I don't think so well it was the day after I, right. I went down to the river because I can remember going down there with my with my notepad and scribbling away um, watching, the, watching the ships rolling sitting on the dock of the bay um, and I'd got all my laundry up, hanging up on the balcony it was like a Chinese laundry in my, in my room and spent most of the time waiting for South American interviews that were just about to happen for hours and hours and hours and hours and then were cancelled <laughs> and then as soon as you left the hotel because you'd got the rest of the day off someone would phone you up on the movie and go we've got, we've got the Argentinian interview for you and you go oh for fuck's sake um so yes and uh, more uh, more brazilian electric electric live shower experiences to relate and uh 
going to Argentina after two hours sleep, which, which is whenever I go to Argentina, it seems to be after two hours sleep for various reasons. Um, so I, I always feel like death on, a, on legs in Argentina. That'd be a good episode title as well. <laughs> death on legs in Argentina. Pass me some pills, Argentina. Saturday, 18th of June. Porto Alegre. Day off. I woke up in the dark several times. My room has shutters and, as I had taken off my watch last night, I guessed from the noises outside that the morning must be progressing towards midday. I went back to sleep and was roused by the telephone. It was Tim, reminding me of telephone interviews at four o'clock this afternoon. It was 12.45, so I thought I should get up. I hauled up the shutter to a cloudless blue sky and a hot sun, realising for the first time that the window slides open all the way to allow an all-too-easy jump from the twelfth floor to the ground. I leaned out, watching my spit fall, and wondering if death would be instantaneous. I decided it might well take a few seconds to die after the massive, shattering impact. A chilling thought. I could have actually sat on the bed and sunbathed, but I felt I should go and walk down to the riverfront before we leave Porto Alegre. I telephoned our local flower shop in England to arrange some flowers for Dizzy before rinsing out my underwear and socks and placing them on the windowsill to dry. I'm wearing shorts for the first time since I arrived here. And here I am, sitting at the docks by the water, looking out at the river and an island densely covered with tropical trees. The waterfront is an uninviting place. I don't think they expect tourists here. It's a working waterfront lined with warehouses. The boats here are only small, freighters and tugs. Perhaps the big ships unload further downriver. There's a cool breeze coming off the water, which is therapeutic for my slight headache. I'm constantly aware of my lost voice. Last night was the worst I can remember it being for a show, so I'm keeping to myself and trying to rest. Today and tomorrow are days off. There's a TV show tomorrow, but they only need two songs, and the TV here has a habit of last-minute cancellation anyway. So I have 60 hours before my next concert. That should be enough to sort me out. Military men keep ambling by. I think they're port security people. There was a man posted at the underpass when I came through here. I got the impression that access is restricted to prevent burglary, but I think he probably decided that an Englishman in pink shorts with a writing pad was a safe bet. While I've been writing, the piece was disturbed only by an Indian-looking girl who sat down further along the dock and unpacked some paintbrushes, preparing to paint a picture of the river. There are two white herons sitting on the roof of the warehouse to my right. They arrived flying with their necks bent, so I assume they're herons and not storks.
They sit in the sun with their shoulders hunched like vultures and their long, thin beaks pointing up at the sky. Two buses full of five-year-old schoolchildren have pulled up amid sounds of chaotic excitement and the fumes of diesel exhaust are overtaking me. I will walk back into town and see if I can find a decent cafe for some breakfast. I couldn't. I walked back through the dirty town, the streets almost impassable from the density of people thronging the pavements and roads. I returned to the hotel and my room, where I ordered up a hot sandwich and some coffee on room service. I tried to call home, but couldn't get through, so sent a fax instead. By four o'clock the interviews had cancelled or postponed, so I went downstairs and ordered a beer while I wrote some more of this diary. Promoter's rep Alfredo, who I've come to like, came by to say the Argentinian interview was ready to happen and, if it suited me, I could do it from the hotel telephone in the bar. They would call me in five minutes. We had to leave for the airport at 6.15, by which time, one hour later, they still hadn't called. Alfredo came by to say the interview is now totally cancelled, so I packed and checked out. As we arrived at the airport in the minibus, Alfredo's mobile phone rang. It was the Argentinian radio station, ready to do the interview live on air. While everyone checked into the flight to Sao Paulo, I stood outside in the street trying to have a sensible conversation with an Argentinian DJ, whose main objective seemed to be to get an introduction from me for his radio station and for the song Kaylee. The song is very special for us here in Buenos Aires. Not for the first time. I wondered why I don't just tell them to fuck off. We flew down to Sao Paulo and got into another minibus which took us to the Imperial Hall Hotel on the Rua de Consolação in the Jardim area of Sao Paulo, a well-to-do area full of expensive shops and bars. We checked in and then band and crew went up the street to a groovy bar where we had a beer or two. There was a little stage with a band playing, so we got up and had a knock for 15 minutes. Great fun, and the owner paid for the beers. Came back to the hotel around one and crashed out. Sunday, 19th of June, Sao Paulo, Olympia. I won't say much about today. In theory, it was a day off. In practice, however... We spent much of the day at a radio station and then a TV station. We were doing a TV show called Live, which is a national broadcast and apparently very popular. Typical of daytime TV everywhere, I suppose. The audience had been bussed in from what appeared to be several schools. The average age of the assembled 200 or so teenagers was 15, all in frantic Brazilian mood and completely surrounding the band. The sound check had been painless, the technicians knew their stuff, and the equipment, Electrovoice, is good. The sound in the room was so clear that I asked them to take the monitor wedge away. Immediately before we went on, there was a bizarre live advert for sanitary towels, which was something of a first. A girl in a grass skirt was placed next to a little stall of the product, singing a little song and doing a Hawaiian dance. I'm ashamed to say I made up my own translation of the words. Well, I sang reasonably well. 
and the children went, whoopee, back into the minibus. It took ages to get back to the centre of Sao Paulo in heavy traffic, and when we finally returned to the hotel, I got out and left my sunglasses in the minibus. There are Marnies. As I write this, I'm still trying to get them back. Note, I never did. In the evening, I phoned home. Between stony silences and choked back tears, Dizzy told me she'd had enough and that our marriage was over. I felt the big stone fall in my stomach. There wasn't much I could do about it from a hotel room in Sao Paulo and she wasn't in a mood for discussing it. Things have been pretty erratic between us for a while now. I totally blame myself. I have asked more of her than any woman could reasonably bear. I decided the most constructive thing I could do would be to get roaring drunk and try not to think about it. I failed on both fronts and went to bed at midnight. The following day, I called home to see where we stood. She said she was sorry about last night and that she couldn't help it. I was, in fact, still married. Still, I have to reflect that as long as I continue living this life, as they say, the writing is on the wall. Wednesday, 22nd of June. Sao Paulo to Buenos Aires. Teatro Opera. 8am. Right now, I'm sitting in the executive lounge in Sao Paulo Airport, feeling like I ought to be in hospital. Last night's show in Sao Paulo was one of the best I've had. Consequently, I burned up every last ounce of energy and then staggered through a couple of hours of autographs and photographs after yet another electrically interesting cold shower. We played here five years ago in 1992 and after the show I climbed into the backstage shower to discover that the shower hose is a metal gooseneck which for some reason was live. Instead of fixing it, it had been completely covered along its length with insulating tape. Once in the shower, when I touched the plastic of the tape on the hose, I could actually feel a tingle as the voltage beneath fizzed through to me. When we were later asked to sign the Olympia's artist's guest book, there was a column marked Comments. I wrote, Fix the fucking shower, someone's going to die. Well... That was in 1992, and as I climbed into the shower last night, in 1997, I was shocked, in every sense, to discover that it's still the same. I think that tells you all you need to know about Brazilian venue managers' respect for artists, i.e. at a level somewhere below farm animals. We got back to the hotel at 3am and my alarm call roused me two hours later at 5.30. Who said musicians sleep late? Had a row with the night staff when checking out. They tried to charge me 35 US dollars to have one white shirt laundered. I gave him 10 and told him to lump it. I slumped on the back seat of the minibus and tried to sleep as we bumped over the pothole roads to the airport. It wouldn't be quite so bad, but for the knowledge that I have a show to do tonight and my voice is bound to suffer as a consequence of being so tired. I just tried and failed in the protracted process of making a telephone call to England. 
When I finally found a way through, BT, and reversed the charges, the answering machine was on and the operator wouldn't let me leave a message. The exhaustion comes in waves, alternating with indigestion and euphoria. See you in Buenos Aires. I slept a little on the flight and then had a spot of breakfast before we landed. The road from the airport into town seemed strangely Swedish, reminding me of the bus ride from Stockholm Airport into town. We eventually arrived at the Intercontinental Hotel, Buenos Aires, and I checked in and found my way to room 1205. The only sensible thing to do was to go straight to bed. So I went downstairs and ordered too many coffees before returning to my room to lie in the dark, staring at the ceiling for the rest of the afternoon. I finally fell into a deep sleep around 4.30 and was immediately woken again by the ringing telephone. When I picked up the receiver, there was nobody there. So I was denied even the satisfaction of verbally abusing them. That did it. I never got back to sleep, and when I got up at five to go to soundcheck, I was still exhausted and could barely stand. The venue is a big theatre like Hammersmith Odeon, and we soundchecked in the darkness while the sound bounced back at us from the auditorium. My sound wasn't too bad, although I wondered what would happen to the ambience tonight when the room is full of people. We were fed steak and mashed potatoes down in a corridor beneath the theatre. The steak was first-rate and deserves a mention. Thank you, Cynthia. We returned to the Intercontinental, but I didn't dare sleep for fear that my voice would close down for the show. Instead, I watched the second half of a football match where Brazil beat Paraguay 2-0. I called home to wish Dizzy sweet dreams and set off for the show. For some reason, the promoter had decided that we should enter the building via several lifts and locked doors from the adjoining building. At one point, we seemed to wander through someone's apartment and I was expecting us all to get arrested for breaking and entering. The backstage area of the Teatro Opera in Buenos Aires smells distinctly of cat's pee and it was in this questionable ambience that I got dressed for the show. The show itself was a little sedate to start with. I've come to expect that in all seated venues. The audience were responsive and interested, but not downright enthusiastic, until we played Cayley and Lavender, which I surmised they had come to see. I was still singing well below the benchmark I had set in Europe, and the majority of the crowd were invisible in darkness. In South America, the concert tickets are very expensive the most expensive seats being, of course, near to and on the front row. This is unfortunate for the band because all the serious fans end up at the back of the hall or in the balconies and are not allowed to move forward, while all the rich kids, who are probably only here to check each other out, are seated at the front where I can see them. For the majority of the show, I could see little else, so I felt my already knackered spirits being constantly sapped. One particular slime ball in the front row actually made a point of looking singularly bored and unimpressed for the entire show. Why on earth do such people leave home? Why don't they hire a movie or read a book or go to a brothel or whatever it is, if anything, that would satisfy their idea of having a good time? It's not as though they can't afford it.
Incommunicado was the penultimate number in the set, after which I was to decide whether to finish with King or the Space. I could see no point in either, so I simply said, Good night. The applause was suddenly rapturous, but then they were applauding another old song. I could happily have called it a day right there. We had planned this strange engine for Encore One, but we abandoned this in favour of Garden Party, which predictably went down very well. Not really my crowd, this lot. We had no desire to return to Cat's Piss Cottage to get changed, so we returned to the Interconti to shower up before going out. I still can't believe I didn't go straight to bed. To the Hard Rock Cafe, who had sponsored the show and invited us over for dinner. There was a small stage there with some backline, so we jammed a couple of songs. I sang Abraham, Martin and John, and then the band played Kaylee. We weren't great, understatement, but then we didn't have to be. We all returned to the Intercontinental around three, and I fell into bed, thanking my stars for the forthcoming two days off. Spies and bees. What's that incandescent? That's probably all bollocks as well. Anyway. <clears throat> and we're back. <laughs> but you might want to leave that last bit in about the spies and the bees and the bollocks. <laughs> Is it a spies bollocks or a bees bollocks spies, or what? Spies, bees and bollocks could be a good title for this episode. Oh, yes. Oh, Scott. Oh, yes. Spies, bees and bollocks. Another good T-shirt. Yeah. Great T-shirt, actually, <laughs> that nobody would get, would they? No. There'd no. only be a limited number of people well, who'd have any clue. Well, I wouldn't get it by tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> I've forgotten I'd said it. So I'm not going to ask you about the diary because I've no idea what's in it. And I'm just going to wait. I'm going to actually... Because you'll probably send this to me while I'm still here to listen to, to QC. Mm. So I'll get to listen to it in uh, wandering around the, the foothills. What's QC? Uh, what does that stand for? Quality control. Oh, I see. All right. See, I'm glad I got up this morning now. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're all pleased you got up this morning. Not Queen's Council. Well, it could be that as well. Quality control. Um, but no, it's, it's yeah, quality control. Um, so my question is... Um, have you made your peace with Radio Somerset? Uh, well, I haven't phoned them up, made my peace with them, no. No. Um, oh, it's just a necessary evil, all of that. I mean, you, you know, he, he's, you can't take it personally. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of artists I don't know a damn thing about. And if I was suddenly put in a position of having to talk to them, you know, it's, I'd probably get straight on Wikipedia and go, oh, they had that hit. Do you know what I mean? And that, that becomes what you are to them. Yeah. And then you go, oh, hello. Uh, I don't know, whoever, Richard Butler. Tell, tell me about Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic Furs and the guy just wants to throttle you. But mm. at least he, he wrote it in the first place, to be fair. Um, it, it's kind of worse for me because I'm always being asked to sort of live up to or comment on somebody else, someone who I don't know and I've bugger all in common with except that that we both sang, we're both singers with Marillion. Mm. So that's just frustrating. But it goes with the territory and I ought to have known. Um, I did know but I just didn't imagine it would last this long. 
Do has Lucy booked you in with every one of the county's radios? Is she working up from Cornwall upwards? Well, it's not Lucy's job. The the uh, promoter Kilimanjaro, they hire people to promote the tour. So there's an right. agent. There's a sort right. of an, a PR agency. And they just get you whatever they can get you. And, and this is because of the date in Bath. Exactly. Right. I should have picked up on that. It's just, it's I think you, I think you even told me that and I, I clearly wasn't listening. Well, I wouldn't guarantee that I told you. Mm, I've, got a, I've, got, I've got a vague... A vague I've got notion. a synapse kind of moment. Well, you're in Spain. Oh, yes, I am. So, you know... You, you've, you've got it. You've got a window into my world, <laughs> sort of geographically addled. <laughs> geographically. Well, here's the thing. Then, I am in Spain. Mm. I don't know if you even where you play in Spain. Do you come to Spain mainly on the plane? <laughs> <laughs> then we get off, and um... <laughs> oh, I so walked into that. Didn't um, I? Oh, Madrid. Barcelona, we've done a lot. Uh, <laughs> I told you about the, you know, the king of Spain, having a mind to the yes, king of Spain, king of Spain. In, in, yeah. in Barcelona, my, my horror gig. Uh, well, that might be the worst one. That and Edinburgh Playhouse, I think, were the two horror gigs of my life. Um, and uh, So far. So far, yeah. There's plenty of time. <laughs> There's plenty of time. Um, What's that other place? Valencia played there. Um, so done a done a few bits and and yeah. up where the um, up in the Basque country. Now where 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 was that? The northwest. Ooh. We did one as well. So we, we've we've done a few in Spain over right. the years. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to Spain. In fact, while while you're on, hang on, I'll I'll uh, I'll show you. You're going to go back. Oh, you're there. Well, I'm, going to go, I'm going to go and sit by that pool. Oh, you bastard! Sorry, yeah, sorry. I'm not even slightly jealous. <laughs> well, the, the family's going to descend. I've sent the family out so I can record this in quiet. Mm. So I'm sent them out for sort of late morning coffee and ice cream. Um, Brilliant. And then they'll be back fairly shortly. And then I'm going to go. I might, might get five ten minutes to myself just to dip my toes in the pool. Right. Well, I won't keep you because I know how precious. Those things are. Hmm. Speaking of families, are they back? Are yours back? Yes, picked them up last night um, at Heathrow. Right. And they're back now, yeah. Yeah, they're well. Perfect. Well, should we sign off then for, for, for 79? Yes. Yes, let's, let's jolly well sign off. Do you want another crack at your gag before we finish or are you, are you spent? I have to go, Anthony. I've got a couple of rough things I must throw down. Be with you in a minute, Ooh. darling. <laughs> that that in terms of delivery, that was the best. <laughs> it's just that everybody knew the punchline. <laughs> but then constant repetition, it's becoming a thing, isn't it? Catchphrase. It's becoming a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> we could just refer to it as <clears throat> the catchphrase in the future, couldn't we? Not even not even mention it. Yes, the catchphrase. <laughs> How good would that look on a T-shirt? Just the catchphrase. <laughs> Insert the catchphrase here. Insert catchphrase here. Right. Well, it's been lovely. It's been fantastic. I shall be back 
I should be back in my normal spot for next week. In your in your spot. Lovely. In my normal spot. Now it's TCD80 next week. So sh- mm. should I lob a text at Megan for... Uh, well, unless you want to lob a text at Chris Neal. Chris Neal? Well, I could. Because we did talk about Chris Neal, didn't we? And we his did. And his filthy ditties. <laughs> Two shades of lipstick on an old French letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't you do know we're still recording, don't you? Syphilis that won't get better. Yeah. <laughs> should, should we stop? Should we stop the stop the pod and then carry on this conversation? <laughs> yeah, we probably should. And okay. At what point do we stop? Would would there be a place? Well, I would stop stop now if you like. Bye bye then, Anthony. Bye bye then, Steve. I'll see you back in England. Subscribing Robert Shooter, they tell me it's good to be purple. Thanks to the listeners and the subscribers. I'll see you later. It will be greater. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>